This is 15-Minute History, a podcast for educators, students, and history buffs featuring the minds and talents of the University of Texas at Austin. 15-Minute History is a partnership of Not Even Past and Hemispheres in the College of Liberal Arts at UT Austin. Welcome back. I'm your host, Christopher Rose, with the Center for Middle Eastern Studies. My guest in the studio today is Ahmed Al-Jalad, who is Assistant Professor of Ancient Arabia and Arabic and Semitic Linguistics at the University of Leiden in the Netherlands, where he specializes in the early history of Arabic and North Arabian, which are both languages, and we'll get to that in a second. Welcome to the studio. Thank you. So today we're going to be talking about writing in ancient Arabia and the alphabets. And as we were discussing earlier, Arabia pops up about 50 years before Islam, only in the context of the background. For people who are familiar with Quranic studies, the Quran is traditionally considered to be the sort of high point of this tradition of ancient Arabian writing and poetry and all of that. So obviously it didn't come out of a vacuum. So what do we know about ancient Arabia and this written tradition of writing and literature and who was writing and what were they writing and all the rest of it? So let's begin there. So writing in Arabia begins about 1,500 years before the Quran. The earliest datable documents come from ancient Yemen. They're wooden sticks that were used for writing contracts, personal letters, and these can be carbon dated, the earliest ones till about the 10th or 11th century B.C., and so it's very early. The language of these documents is not Arabic. It's uh, an ancient South Arabian language called Sabaic. The script used on these documents is not directly related to the Arabic script either. It's what scholars call the South Semitic script. It's a, an alphabet with about 28 to 29 letters, depending on the variety. And so ancient Yemen has a continuous writing tradition in this alphabet and using basically indigenous languages like Sabaic, and there are three others, Katabanic, Minaic, Hadramitic for about 1,500 years. Now, the rest of the Arabian Peninsula also had writing traditions. So the oases of Northern Arabia, for example, Dadan, which is an oasis about uh, 180 miles north of Medina, had its own local script. Tema, great oasis of uh, Northern Arabia as well, had its own writing tradition, its own script, and also their own languages distinct from Arabic. Those ones are a little bit harder to date because no perishable material survived bearing writing from those oases. So we have to infer from other contexts. So in Tema, for example, you have some inscriptions referring to Nebonidus, king of Babylon, who basically occupied the oasis from 553 to 543 BC. So we're talking middle of the first millennium BC. But Arabia is unique in that it wasn't only settled people that would have had practical uses for writing. But the nomads of Arabia were also literate. From the deserts of southern Syria all the way to Yemen, there are tens of thousands of inscriptions in varieties of the South Semitic script produced by nomads in a variety of languages, some very close to Arabic and some rather exotic and ultimately undeciphered. Do we have any idea what the spoken languages were like, or is it hard to infer from the written evidence? So the epigraphic record of Arabia uh, reveals considerable linguistic diversity. In ancient Yemen, you have a group of languages that modern scholars call ancient South Arabian. Sabaic is the language associated with the kingdom of Saba, biblical Sheba. And you have Katabanic, Minaic, and Hadramitic. These are four neighboring kingdoms. Each of these languages, or, or let's say sometimes they're called dialects, are rather distinct from each other. But what's really interesting is they are very different from Arabic and were definitely not mutually intelligible with Arabic. When we go north into the Najd, into the Hejaz, 
the areas north of, for example, Medina and the areas north of Riyadh around Ha'il and Saudi Arabia, the inscriptions are much shorter. Most of them are just personal names. And so it's difficult to determine what the language of the writer was. But when you do occasionally get a longer inscription, these have, till today, mostly defied interpretation. So that means that in the middle of Saudi Arabia, you had indigenous languages that were very different from Arabic, that don't have any modern descendants today. The oasis towns of northern Arabia are also interesting. Dadan, which I mentioned earlier, has a language that is similar to Arabic, but not quite Arabic. There are big differences between the two. The language of the oasis town of Tema has striking similarities with Aramaic and Hebrew against Arabic. So we're looking at it quite a bit of linguistic diversity, where you do encounter languages that look like the Arabic we're familiar with, and that can be interpreted in a more consistent way. We find those inscriptions in Jordan, northern Hejaz, modern-day Jordan, northern Saudi Arabia around Tabuk, and southern Syria. And these texts, they're not classical Arabic. They are probably as different from classical Arabic as Beowulf is from Chaucer. But they are still recognizably Arabic and they're interpretable. So the epigraphic picture of Arabic, or let's say the epigraphic map of ancient Arabia, is upside down from the traditional sources, which place Arabic in Yemen and foreign elements as being in the north. The epigraphic map actually looks the opposite. You've mentioned that the, the writing systems are rather diverse. The languages are rather diverse. And that Arabic comes from what ironically would later on be the Umayyad homeland, the, the, the sort of desert region of Syria and or what is now Syria and Jordan. So when does some of this evidence suggest a shift in a direction that those of us who, who studied Arabic might consider more recognizable in terms of the writing? Ancient South Arabian, we have some images on the, on the website, is very distinct, but it is very, very, very different than modern Arabic script. Where does that come from? We have to make a distinction between language and script. Any language can be written in, in any script, for right. example. So for most of Arabic's attested history, let's say stretching back a thousand years before Islam, Arabic was most often written in a variety of the South Semitic script, very much like the ancient South Arabian alphabet that you uh, have on the website. It's hard to say what our oldest attestations of Arabic are. There was a inscription recently published from the area of the Wadi Sirhan in Jordan it's a short Arabic inscription in a variety of the South Semitic script that's used in the north. It's not really like any of the known ones exactly. And it contains a prayer to Malcolm, Kemosh, and Qaus. These are the three gods of the Iron Age Transjordanian kingdoms, Ammon, Moab, and Edom. The text seems reasonably placed in the middle or early first millennium. Then you have a lot of inscriptions that are undated. We just have no idea when they were written. They're produced on rock. Sometimes they're just short prayers, personal names plus prayers. We have no way to determine whether those were produced in the 4th century CE or the 4th century BCE. Right. But for most of Arabic's history, it was written in this way. Now, the transition in the script towards what is, let's say, familiar Arabic, the Arabic script that we, we learn in our first-year classes, seems to come with the establishment of the Nabataean kingdom. So the Nabataeans were an Arabic-speaking group in what is today Jordan and northern Saudi Arabia and, and their greatest extent in southern Syria even. They spoke Arabic, but they administered their kingdom in a variety of Achaemenid Aramaic, official Aramaic. 
But you can see the influence of their spoken language, Arabic, on their written language, for example, the way that they phrase things, some of the words they use are coming from Arabic. And there's a nice uh, collection of legal papyri from the Dead Sea where you have Arabic glosses to explain Aramaic terms, which is quite nice. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So the Nabataeans are conquered by the Romans in 106 CE. Throughout this period, they're writing primarily in Aramaic, even though they're speaking Arabic. After the fall of their kingdom, the Nabataean script and, let's say, writing tradition, the use of Nabataean Aramaic, the particular kind of Aramaic, survives in northern Arabia. And you start to see the intrusion of more and more Arabic. In 328 CE, an epitaph was uh, produced for a king named Mar al-Qais or Imr al-Qais, we can't exactly determine the pronunciation, son of Amru, who calls himself Malik al-Arab Kulla. King, King of, of all the Arabs, Arabs, indeed. And this is in the Nabataean script, but the language, except for the word for son, which they use Aramaic bar, is Arabic, completely Arabic. So we see, at least at this point, the use of the Nabataean script to write Arabic language and in the context of prestige, right? And basically between the 3rd century CE and the 5th century CE, a great scholar of a Nabataean epigraphy, Leila Na'meh, identified this as a transitional period between the Nabataean Aramaic script and what is recognizably the Arabic script. And the language of this period is mostly Aramaic, although there are more and more Arabic intrusions. So this would be the beginning of the Arabic script as we know it. Now, why this script then spread and replaced the indigenous alphabet of Arabia that was used for over a thousand years is unclear. This is fascinating because, as I discussed in the episode on the Birmingham Quran, that early cursive Arabic script is inadequate. It had to be modified with dots, the dots that people are familiar with from Arabic, in order to make it fully representational of the sounds that Arabic has. But that process took a couple of centuries after the Quran. So any idea why one script that was imported that didn't fully represent how Arabic sounded replaced the other? Or is that lost in the historical record? So the transition from Nabataean Aramaic to what is recognizably the Arabic script is in many ways a transition to a more cursive script. And the only time cursive writing has any use is when you're writing with ink mm -hmm. on perishable materials. This indicates that Arabic developed in a context of writing with ink rather than on rock and was probably used for administration, was probably used for day-to-day -day documents. Now, anyone looking at receipts and contracts will notice that these documents are incredibly formulaic. You already know what to expect mm -hmm. when you're looking at the documents so that you don't need the full phonetic representation of your language to be able to successfully decipher a text. If the Arabic script developed out of an administrative tradition, then full phonetic representation was never a limitation to being able to read a document. The South Semitic script, so let's say the scripts like Safiitic and Hismaic, these were scripts that the Arabic language was written in before the spread of the transitional Nabataean script and ultimately the Arabic script as we know it today. Those scripts represented each one of Arabic's consonants with a distinct glyph. There was no redundancy. You didn't need to use dots. You didn't need to guess. Mm -hmm. There were still no vowels because it was a Semitic script, but all the consonants were there. But we have no evidence that the people who employed those scripts, who seem to have been primarily nomads, we have no evidence that they used those scripts for practical purposes. 
most of the inscriptions that we see written in these scripts were memorial, votive, or just simply graffiti. So we don't have any evidence that these scripts were used for practical purposes. The Arabic script that we know developed probably in the chanceries of tribal kings and had a completely different function to begin hmm. with. It's interesting to think about it in that context. You mentioned the issue of Arabic with contact from Aramaic. One of the other things that came up, I confess I wasn't terribly nice to him, in the Birmingham Quran episode was Christoph Luxemburg's theory that the Quran is better understood if you read it, portions of it in Syriac, which is an Aramaic dialect or register. Based on that history of language contact and the fact that this script actually came from Aramaic, is there any weight to that theory? One of the very influential myths that have shaped the understanding of the history of Arabic has been that Arabic before Islam was, especially the Arabic spoken by nomads, was isolated from outside influences. Right. Right. Now, you don't need archaeology to know that isolation and nomads don't go together. <laughs> but nevertheless, when we go out into the deserts and look at the inscriptions produced by the nomads in the, for example, Syro-Jordanian desert in Northern Arabia, and the Jordanian Harra, this is the basalt desert in Northern Jordan and uh, Southern Syria. Well, we get inscriptions in the South Semitic script, this local one, Safiyyidic, but we also get bilingual texts. So some speakers of Arabic will write their names in the indigenous script in Safiyyidic, and then again in Greek. Hmm. And the Greek is, they inflect their names correctly in the right cases, and sometimes they'll give tribal affiliations, but it's okay Greek. I mean, for what it is, personal names. But it shows that they have knowledge of both scripts. There's one interesting example where a nomad from northeastern Jordan who clearly knew the Greek script but didn't seem to know the Greek language wrote an inscription in Old Arabic language but using Greek letters. And so he gives his name. He starts out with his name in Greek, putting the correct case endings on it. And then, well, he runs out of Greek and then starts writing his little graffito, which basically says, I came from the town here in the winter, and I'm pasturing on fresh herbage. And he gives his nisba, his tribal affiliation, al-idami. So in the deserts, we have a lot of evidence for Arabic-Greek contact. And that was something that was unexpected. Not so much Aramaic, in fact. There are more bilingual Old Arabic Greek texts in the desert than there are Aramaic ones. In Northern Arabia, though, in the, between the 3rd and 5th centuries CE, where you start to get this transition from Nabataean to the Arabic script, there you find a situation that looks like Luxembourg's Quran. So you get inscriptions that are blended between Arabic and Aramaic. The introductory formula, may so-and-so be remembered well, may be in Aramaic, but then parts of the prose will be in Arabic. The dating formula will be in Aramaic, and then the prayer and the curse will be in Arabic. Interestingly, the word for sun is always given in the Aramaic bar. These texts show a high contact, almost code switching between Arabic and Aramaic, in writing at least. We don't know if these people actually spoke Aramaic, but at least when writing, they would use Aramaic formulae mm -hmm. and certain parts of their inscriptions. The Quran doesn't look like those texts, though. So, for example, the word for sun in the Quran is never bar. We do have examples of, let's say, Luxembourg's hypothesis in these texts, and we can compare these texts to the Quran, and they do look rather different. And one of the hallmark examples of Aramaicisms in the context of Arabic, the word for sun, bar, is just not found in the Quran. 
We know that there's all of this linguistic diversity now, but of course, according to the histories that were produced by, say, the late Abbasid period, this is around the turn of the millennium in the Christian counting, Arabia was, and as you mentioned in particular, the Bedou were speaking a pure Arabic language. The Quran itself says repeatedly that it's in a pure Arabic language. But we know that that was not necessarily, at least prior to the advent of Islam, the case. So why was all of this forgotten? That's a very good question. So looking at the epigraphic map of Arabia and the way that I presented it, we need to explain the Arabicization of Arabia, just like Egypt and North Africa were Arabicized after the Islamic conquests. At some point in the history of the Arabian Peninsula, the languages, the more exotic languages that I talked about, like those in the Thamudica inscriptions, the indigenous language of the oasis of Tema, of Dadan, and the ancient South Arabian languages, those eventually disappear and are replaced by Arabic. We just don't know when. That's more difficult to answer. And this transitional period, the third to the fifth century, where we see the development of the Arabic script and the spread of the Arabic script across North Arabia, that's writing. And it may be the spread of a writing tradition, but we can't be sure that that represents any kind of linguistic change right. in, the, in the spoken language of these people. So we don't know exactly when these languages disappear. If we go back to the Harra, the basalt desert of Syria and Jordan, we simply don't know when the inscriptions of that area end. None have been found in any kind of archaeological context. A minority of them are actually dated, and they're dated to 1st century BCE to, let's say, the 2nd century CE. But those are the dated ones, and they're a tiny minority. We just simply don't know when these writing traditions end. And so it's difficult to say, really, when these languages disappear. But I think what the epigraphic map forces us to think about, and it was probably a question that couldn't have been asked 200 years ago or even 100 years ago, was when was Arabia Arabicized? Mm -hmm. I mean, the Islamic conquest is an obvious turning point, and it could have been in that period, but it could have been much earlier. But we must remember that the grammarians are describing, let's say, the dialect geography, you know, over 100 years after the conquests. And uh, there's a lot of controversy about the register, whether they're after a spoken language or a performance register. It's, it's very unclear. The other question, too, is when did these scripts disappear? We know by the Abbasid period, there was no tradition, traditional knowledge regarding the scripts of North Arabia. So surely any visitor to the desert could see these inscriptions, but no one knew how to read them. In South Arabia, in ancient Yemen, by the 9th century, the alphabet seems to have been retained. There's at least one bilingual Arabic ancient South Arabian inscription from the Islamic period that's just names. Hmm. So it's unclear whether it was just the alphabet that was retained or if indeed there was a tradition that survived that wasn't recognized or nobody took any notice of to put in the, uh, the mainstream histories. But we don't know exactly when the alphabets completely disappear. But the great irony is when it came time for the Quran to be written down, to be put into written form, it wasn't one of Arabia's indigenous scripts that was used to write the language. It was ultimately a foreign alphabet, a very developed form of the Nabataean Aramaic script. This is all very fascinating. As you mentioned, you know, this is a, a field that is still churning out new finds every day. In fact, uh, just last month, we, we had another one from the UAE. So we will be intrigued to follow your research and new developments in this field. But uh, thanks for, for joining us and sharing this fascinating look at a part of the world we don't really talk about at this time very often. Thank you. This has been another episode of 15-Minute History, and we'll see you next time. 
For a transcript of this episode, alignments to the Texas and National Standards for Social Studies, and links to more information on this topic, visit our website at 15minutehistory.org. That's 15minutehistory.org. And for even more, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. The University of Texas is a free speech campus. Opinions and viewpoints expressed in this or any episode of 15 Minute History do not reflect the official position of the University of Texas or of any of its constituent colleges or departments. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.